If you've had even the slightest thought of trying something, now's your opportunity. And I wouldn't wait and try to pick the perfect thing. Go try a bunch of stuff, see what you really enjoy, and then go do it. Motion is lotion. That's Nancy Irwin's motto. The laundry list of health problems she's faced is only outdone by the longer list of solutions she's found to overcome them. Any curvature above 10% is considered scoliosis. Nancy's spine has a 75% curvature. But through a dedication to active core pursuits like yoga, strengthening exercises, pickleball, and cycling, she's carved out a really happy life in retirement. After a fulfilling career teaching English to refugees and immigrants in Louisville, Kentucky, she now spends six months of the year in the beautiful ski resort town of Vail, Colorado, like no place on earth. You think Nancy might be a fun person? She waited an extra month to retire just so she wouldn't miss the Halloween school party. Talk about starting your retirement off with a bang. Listen, life has thrown Nancy a lot of curves, starting with the shape of her spine. But through passion and curiosity about the world, she's straightened it all out. Do you ever wonder who you'll be and what you'll do after your career is over? Wouldn't it be nice to hear stories from people who figured it out, who are thriving in retirement? I'm Ryan Doolittle. After working with the Retire Sooner team for years and researching and writing about how they structure their lifestyles, I know there's more to be learned. So I'm going straight to the source and taking you with me. My mission with the Happiest Retirees podcast is to inspire 1 million families to find happiness in retirement. I want to learn how to live an exceptional life from people who do it every day. Let's get started. Nancy Irwin, thanks so much for coming on the Happiest Retirees podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about your story. I mean, you can start wherever you want, but I know you retired on Halloween day, which was a great yeah, way to go. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and so we're celebrating our, my anniversary, my first day of retirement on this show. How cool is that, Ryan? <laughs> That's really cool, yes. I always think of you now as I'm picking my costume out. <laughs> well, I want to hear your story of, I guess let's start with what you were doing before you retired, and then you can go into how you how you left. Right. I was a teacher for the Jefferson County Public Schools here in Louisville, Kentucky. I taught English as a second language, primarily to refugees and immigrants. Loved my job. I was working in an elementary school the last 11 years of my school career, and it was a performing arts school. It's the only performing arts school elementary in the state of Kentucky. So very fun, fun place to work. And one of the things they did every Halloween was they would have a vocabulary parade. And kids were not allowed to dress up as witches and ghosts and stuff like that. They had to be a vocabulary word in this particular year. So even though I could have retired 30 days earlier, my calculations of the mass that I wanted to do, I chose to wait another 30 days because I wanted to retire on October 31st because of this vocabulary parade that we were going to have. I wanted my vocabulary word to be retired. This is an elementary school, so it's, you know, fairly low level vocabulary word. So my word was retired, which I had across my chest. And then I, I, I'm a bicyclist, one of my hobbies. And 
So I had old bicycle tires. So anyway, I put one tire over me and said, oh, I've been so tired. I'm tired. And I said, and so now I've decided to retire and retire and retire for sure. And so I put all these bicycle tires over my neck. And uh, so it was it was a really fun way to retire. And actually, those bicycle tires have become a tradition with my immediate friends because every time one of them retires and we have a little retirement party, it's like, make Nancy, make sure you bring the tires over. <laughs> you started a tradition. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So, okay, so we've established you're a really fun person, I think, right off the bat here. <laughs> what, what? So you said you were teaching, uh, you were an ESL teacher, English as a second language. I want to know which languages you know, and you mentioned you taught a lot of refugees. What countries were these refugees from? They were from all over the world. Jefferson County Public Schools and Louisville, Kentucky services like 135 languages, Ryan, because a lot of them are travel languages from Africa or whatever. And most people will be surprised to know that Louisville has one of the highest influxes of refugees of any place in the United States. That's because the cost of living is so low here that people can come with nothing and survive. We have two charitable organizations that bring them in here to help them find affordable housing, to help them find jobs where they don't need English. So in answer to your question, I service way too many languages to even begin to tell you an exact number. I do speak both French and Spanish. In fact, I taught those languages prior to switching to teaching English to refugee and immigrant children. So that certainly helps in the career, but certainly is not necessary. There's plenty of teachers who did what I did who do not speak a second language at all. It it was extremely helpful in my relationships with the parents. You know, because I had a lot of refugees from the Congo, which is French speaking, and then a lot of refugees from Cuba and Latin American countries. So it it really, you know, most ESL teachers have bilingual assistance, but I think it's really helpful if I can communicate directly to parents myself rather than having to go through an assistant. Yeah, I I would. I didn't know you didn't have to know another language. It seems like it would be a huge help in that process. Well, you understand better what it's it takes from the kids, what's required and how difficult it is and all that kind of stuff. So you can appreciate maybe more what they're going through. But because the program in most schools, I think pretty much across the United States, in most schools, English is taught to immigrants and refugees through an immersion where they just go into the school building and are expected to pick it up. That's not, you're not taught how to, like if you're, if you enter the school system in ninth grade, you're, you're not taught first grade material because further advanced in your knowledge, you're just not able to communicate in English. I can just imagine how terrifying it would be if I were in another country and they just said, now now you have to learn this in this other language that you don't know. That's hard. It's really, really, really difficult, especially the older the kids are. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that sounds amazing that you did that. And how did you learn Spanish and French? Was that in school or you lived somewhere or in school, I was very fortunate to go to a private girls' school where they taught French. They didn't even offer Spanish back in the 60s. We had a, a French teacher from France. She was excellent. She wouldn't allow us to speak any English in the classroom. Every time we did, we had to put sous two cents on our front desk. And she's that might have a party at the end of the school year. But I mean, she was really, really strict. By the time I graduated from high school, I was completely fluent in French. So I t- tested out of all the beginning French classes at the university level just took literature and linguistics classes. But that's where, and that's where I started studying Spanish was in college. And I picked that up pretty quickly because French and Spanish languages are relatively similar. 
I mean, it's no big deal in Europe or other countries to speak three, four, five languages, but here people think I'm somebody really special, which it's not, you know, if you focus on it, it's not that it's not that difficult to do. Yeah, and I think a lot of Americans don't realize that English is harder to learn than a lot of the other languages, right? A lot. A lot harder. It's kind of too bad we have become the international language because it certainly honestly <laughs> Spanish would be a lot I mean, easier for the rest of the world to learn. There's so many exceptions. I mean, I don't as a native speaker, I don't think about it, but when I when I was learning Spanish, that's when I that's when I went back and looked at English and said, well, that shouldn't be pronounced that way, but it is. And I just know it, but I, I would, yeah. that would be so confusing. And I should clarify, I don't know Spanish. I, I took Spanish. I can say, uh, my teacher used to always say, in la boca cerrada no entran moscas, which I don't know if you know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With your mouth is closed, no flies can get in. Yeah, I think it's basically saying, don't gossip. <laughs> She'd probably not yeah. want me to talk in class or gossip or whatever. But yeah, if, if, if it's just saying if you keep your mouth closed, class can't come in. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Which is funny. And we uh, we have a little segment on this show called the Bochinche Report because my wife's Puerto Rican and uh, oh, okay. Bochinche is like gossip. Mm -hmm. So I literally need my mouth open to do that part of the show. So uh, I kind of have to go against the teacher's advice. Um <laughs> So you learn the languages, you, you're helping people everywhere, you love your job. What made you decide to retire? There were things in, that I really wanted to do in life that I'd been unable to do, like snow skis. Snow skis always been my passion. I always thought about living in Colorado. I never actually made the move. And the only time I got to go was on official vacations from school. I just wanted to be out there, be able to be out there and ski a lot, which is what I I'm able to do now. And part of my decision, I, I did want to keep working till I was 65. So I qualified for Medicare. So I worked to 65 and three months by the time I uh, retired on October 31st. And part of that was due to the way the school system calculated my hire date versus my retire date. And then also wanting to work the extra 30 days so I could retire on Halloween. So once you retired, did you immediately start doing the things you had been wanting to do? Pretty much so, yeah. I uh, know, and and another thing I wanted to do was travel a lot more, even though I had already traveled a lot. But immediately, like a couple of days later, I left with some friends from Florida. We spent a week there, and then a couple of weeks later, I was went to Colorado and spent the whole winter in Colorado. And oh, and I also went to Panama during that that time. So I, you know, I did start doing quite a bit of travel. And uh, in subsequent years, I went to India, Dubai. Ecuador, you know, quite a, in Europe and Iceland and quite a few places that I hadn't yet been able to, to go. And, you know, I also love to read a lot and I just didn't have much time when I was working and staying so busy to read. So, I, you know, I immediately started reading a lot more too. I love historical fiction. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you barely had time to read a book a month and now you sometimes you read it, read a book in a few days. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And I think you said that reading is sort of like traveling, or I forget how you phrased it. Well, I really enjoy historical fiction, especially things that have been written in other countries that have had to have been translated into English even. And because it just gives me, it is like traveling. You just get a bigger perspective of other parts of the world. I love it. Yeah, what, what's the, you had a quote from Mark Twain about what travel means for people. Oh, gosh. 
see if I can find where I wrote it down because I don't remember it off the top of my head. I'm right. Oh, it's here. It is. Travel is fatal to bigotry, prejudice, and narrow-mindedness. And I feel that's really true. I mean, so many people just kind of stay in the same part of the United States where they were born all their lives. And that's why they're scared of other places, other people, other cultures, other languages. I mean, because they've just never had other experiences. So I think it's really, really, if we're, if we're ever, ever going to have some kind of peace on this earth and not all these constant wars, people are going to have to understand each other better. And the only way to do that, honestly, is through travel. And that's why I love this Sarah Boss International, because I've lived in people's homes in these other countries. They give me experiences that far exceed what I would ever have been able to have experienced had I taken some kind of tour with a bunch of Americans. I mean, it's it's just, a, it's amazing some of the experiences I've had. Yeah, I remember the first time I traveled abroad, I was, I mean, when I think about it now, I was so ignorant to anything and, and it it opened my eyes to so many things that it you, it's really right. hard to do unless you actually go places. Right. Tell me a little bit, so you have mentioned, is it it's pronounced Servas International? Servas, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so tell me a little bit about what it is and, and how you, or what you did there. I discovered it about 25 years ago in reading the book Tales of a Female Nomad by Rita Gelsman. She was an attorney from California, not she wasn't an attorney, her husband was an attorney in California, and she divorced him. And, or they got a divorce, and she really wanted to travel, but she didn't have much money. Somehow she discovered Cerebos, and it's in this book of hers of how to be a female nomad and travel the, the world on very little money. She mentions it in the book, and as soon as I read it, I thought, oh my God, I need to find out about this place, this organization. And so it was, you know, the internet had already come into existence then. And so I uh, immediately Googled it, checked it out, and uh, so, wow, I've got to join this. I think I just joined it immediately. And I just couldn't wait for my first trip where I could go stay in somebody's house. The first trip I took was to Cuba when it was wow. completely when it was pro- completely prohibited for us to go there. I, that's a not whole other story on how I got in and out of that country. But anyway, uh, I did go there and I did stay in some Cubans' homes and <laughs> talk about opening my mind. That was mind-blowing, mind-blowing. I mean, you become so appreciative of living in this country when you go to some of these other countries. It's just unbelievable how the majority of people on this planet have to live. We are so, so fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's incredible what we kind of take it for granted, I think, mm-hmm. what, what we have. Uh, you have friends on six continents. Is that because of your work with service? Part of it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is because, yeah, I've traveled to every continent except Antarctica. I stayed with Cerebos members on every continent except Africa. And some of these people have the one, one gal I stayed with in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. A couple of years after that, she moved to the country of Panama. I've been back to visit her in Panama twice. We're Facebook friends. We communicate through WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger all the time. And I do that with, with people in Africa. I do it with people in uh, Europe, it's in South America. I mean, it's just, it's really cool. It makes the world a lot smaller and you feel like you're so in touch with other people. There's there's two people that I communicate really regularly from India. I one of them usually with a phone call even. So yeah, WhatsApp wow. has made it so cool to be able to do that. So yeah, it's 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 an amazing organization. And I just had a visitor here who stayed with me last weekend from Paris, France. 
And she was young. She's only 40, no, 39. And she said that she, I, I, I worry about Cervas because it tends to have older members and we really need to bring young, younger people in. Part of the reason we need younger people is because they're all going to couch surfing, it seems like. So I talked to her about that. And she said she'd had really bad experiences with couch surfing and that she likes Cervas so much better because the reason Cervas people are members is because they really do want to improve international communication, relationships, understanding people. It, it's a, that's a mission. And with couch surfing, it's more about the three bed. Oh, so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you, cause you had mentioned service, um, is a way to make travel affordable with both within mm-hmm. the U S and abroad. Do you think retirees, that's a way they could travel more if they're on a fixed income? Absolutely. And honestly, retirees would probably like it really well. Cause a lot of the members, the huge majority are unfortunately retirees. I wish we could get some more young blood in. Yeah. So most of the people I've, most of the people I've stayed with have been older, not, you know, some of them have been younger, but not. We're serious. That organization is seriously lacking in another generation's participation. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So t- you've mentioned some core pursuits, which that's the term we use for the hobbies you're really passionate about. You mentioned travel, reading, skiing. You have some others that we talked about earlier that are, I, I don't know if I've seen anyone else do them before. Snowshoeing. Is that just walking through the snow, I'm guessing? Yeah, I do some snowshoeing. I'm more into this micro spike hiking, which I only got into since I retired because I have more time to do more things. Where we actually, I don't like to ski on the weekends because the ski re- resorts get way too crowded. It's too dangerous, I feel. So uh, on the weekends, I, I micro spike hike, which is climbing up the mountain with spikes on your boots and with poles, but it's a really, really good aerobic. It's the most serious aerobic activity I do all year. And you live, so I think you bought a a home or condo in Vail, Colorado. That's that. And you're there five or six months per year. Yes. Uh huh. You have one place in Louisville and one in Vail. Yeah, and I rent I rent the place in Vail out when I'm not there. It's a really good location. And then sometimes I even when I don't have family and friends there, I rent the second bedroom because it's 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 expensive to have a place in Vail, and that really helps me be able to afford it. I would imagine. And one of the things that our flagship show it's called Retire Sooner. They get more into the weeds on the finances of retirement, but they talk a lot about multiple streams of income. Uh, for retirees. And it sounds like your condo in Colorado serves as a stream of income for you, especially, I mean, when you're not there. Yeah, it's not, it's certainly far from being a bunch of additional income that I can live on, but it may, it does cover almost all the expenses. So really on on that kind of stuff. So that, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it pretty much pays for itself in that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm oh. very fortunate because I have a pension from the school, from Kentucky Teachers Retirement System. You know, I, I mean, a lot of people don't have that benefit. They just have to save all the money and, and live off what they saved, which would, I can understand why that would make people really, really nervous because depending on where you have invested, you don't know if it's still going to be there, you know, if things turn south. So, yeah, having that pension has been huge. Oh, absolutely. And, and so many people nowadays don't have pensions. Right. Yeah. So that that's a huge stream. So you got your pension. Uh, I guess the the condo in Vail is more just to pay for itself so that you can enjoy right. your life there. And then do you have right. other, do you work part-time or do you have any other streams coming in? 
I do have a part, very part-time job for the town of Vail as a tourist information guide. Oh, wow. And I don't get, I don't, I do get a 1099. I do have to pay taxes on what the value of the job is. I don't get paid in money. I get paid with a season pass, which is worth, it's, that's over $900. And then I also get a locker at the base of the mountain, which if you're not a skier, you're not going to understand this, but a locker at the base of Vail Mountain can be like $3,000 a season. It's more than the season pass. It's ridiculous. Oh. Now, most people will share those lockers with one or two other people, but still, it's a lot of money. So the value I get by getting a locker at the base of the mountain, the lift ticket, I even get some parking passes. They give us these great parties at the restaurants in Vail. Vail is a really nice restaurant. They, have, they give us parties in these five-star restaurants. So it's definitely worth what I do. I only work four 20-hour shifts a year. So I, okay. I work like from nine to one or whatever on the days that I work. And I just show the tourists around, answer all the tourist questions, take pictures of the family so they don't have to do selfies. I mean, stuff like that. You know, I have a big eye. On, I, I tell people I'm a street walker dressed in red. I have a big eye on my back, you know, for information. So I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So a few of your other core pursuits that, that you're passionate about. Pickleball, right? Yeah, I just started playing that in the last year, and I've kind of become addicted to it. I mean, I absolutely love it. Uh, I went out to play this morning, and the temperature was only like 35 degrees here. At least it was sunny, but playing indoors in Colorado quite a bit in the winter. But yeah, it's it's fun. It's just so fast moving. I used to be play tennis, and I can't anymore because I have a bad back, bad everything else. Yeah, but the pickleball is so much less stressful on the body. You don't have to run as far. The panels are much lighter weight than a tennis racket and stuff like that yeah i haven't played pickleball but i play tennis and a friend was telling me it's easier on your body and you you get more rallies it's it's actually more fun more. he said yeah. he, he was saying it's mm-hmm. uh so pickleball is the is the fastest growing sport in at least in america i think it might be in the world but in yeah world. definitely in america yeah i can't yeah. believe how i mean i i actually first played maybe 10 or 15 years ago for the first time. And then I just didn't keep playing. Of course, I was still working, didn't have as much time. But uh, once I started playing again, just last year, I would play on Sundays instead of skiing and micro spike hiking, usually down Saturdays. So it was, I mean, it's just a blast. I just love it. Yeah. So another one of your core pursuits is yoga. And I, I want to hear about that. And, and in relation to, I know you have some health challenges and yoga is a huge part of how you deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. I have a very significant scoliosis, 76 degree curve in my spine, S curve. I have pain. It's not totally debilitating, obviously, but it's pretty significant. And most doctors who look at, or in healthcare professionals look at my x-rays and my MRIs and stuff are like, oh my gosh, if you see, you bicycle, you do all these things. I said, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, I, I really believe, I firmly believe this because I do these yoga positions every day. I've studied with the really, who is probably the most international guru in yoga for scoliosis. Her name's Elise Miller. She practices out of Palo Alto, California, but she does stuff on Zoom and she travels the world giving seminars and stuff like that. And I've had private lessons with her as well as done seminars with her. And she, she knows her stuff because she has scoliosis herself. So I, I had one healthcare professional tell me at one time that motion is lotion. And I love that, that phrase because you've just got to keep on moving. I mean, there have been days when I have 
usually when I awaken, I'm extremely stiff. It's very painful to get out of bed. There have been days when I thought, oh my gosh, I get it why a lot of people just don't get up. You know, it just, it's, it's such effort and it's not easy and it's not fun. But once I do, and I, st- I, I know from experience that that's what it takes. And I, I've been doing this for decades because I've had trouble with my back since I was, well, I didn't have a lot of trouble when I was 12. I was diagnosed at 12. I didn't really start having issues with my back until I got pregnant, I guess, in my 30s. But, but yeah, if I don't do these stretches and, and do these particular things for my spine, I, I can't function. And there's no way I could get up in the morning and run out and play pickleball or get up in the morning and go get the slopes and ski. I mean, I have at least an hour worth of stuff that I do to get my body ready to really do more vigorous exercise. It, it makes all the difference in the world. Wow. It, it, I'm sorry you have to deal with that, but it's so impressive that that you do all those things so that you can keep staying active. Yeah. And so motion is lotion is such a great tagline. Did you make that up? No, I uh, actually was a rolfer. I don't know if you know about rolfing. It's a little bit like massage for lack of going into a lengthy explanation about it. But he said that to me a long time ago. And, you know, I have a lot of friends particularly come out and visit me in Colorado to ski. And I'll get up every morning and start doing my yoga. And after several days in a row of doing that, they go, I just can't believe how you, you are so motivated to do this every morning. I said, well, you know what? Pain is a great motivator. So if I don't do this, I'm in pain. I don't want to be in pain. I don't like it. So, you know, it's it so true. I, what it's what's worse, the going through all the yoga or being in pain all day. It's kind of a no brainer. Yeah, really. Really. Yeah. You have so many core pursuits and we find that the happiest retirees do right. Uh, the the unhappy <laughs> ones think that retirement is just maybe sitting on the couch and not working and they don't normally seem to be as happy. So right. what, how, how have all these core pursuits made you happier? I mean, I'm certainly not sitting around bored and twiddling my thumbs. I have a, a, a good friend just last week. I was spending some time with him who's 70. He was I was like, when are you going to retire? He's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. What do you do every day? I don't, I just don't know what I do. And I don't, I don't understand these people who have just made work their entire life. I mean, I kind of worked to be able to do the stuff I like. I mean, I liked my job. I'm very fortunate in the fact that I actually loved my job. I can't say that, that I didn't. But I didn't love it so much that I wanted to keep doing it because I was getting tired. My back was hurting. You know, dealing with children all day long with no downtime is like extremely difficult to alter and get. And I just didn't have the energy. And and I, there were other things I had developed in my lifetime, a lot of other interests I always have. You know, my own parents were an example of that, Ryan. I mean, my both my parents were extremely active, really up until practically the day they died. So we were active as a family. So it's just something that I've done all my life. I saw it modeled. I became very interested in health and healing in my early 30s you know, got into all kinds of complementary medicine and, of course, nutrition and all that kind of stuff is so important. Exercise, all that is is just so important. And so that's kind of been my focus in life is to maintain my health. In fact, I, I was such, I was really kind of a health nut. Just to tell you a cute, funny story, my children, and they were really little, like in first grade, didn't really know what mama was doing or whatever. Teacher said to him one day, teacher shared this with me, 
she said to him, what, what is your, what does your mommy do? And God one child looked at her and goes, she's the president of hell. <laughs> I, I just cracked At the time I had actually started a not-for-profit that promoted information in, in complementary medicine and tried to create some legislative change back when it was illegal to do acupuncture and stuff like that. So, so I, I kind of, kind of was the president of this not-for-profit health organization, but it was just, it's just, and they told their teacher, I was, I was the president of health. <laughs> I have to say, I don't, I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Some of your friends have, have said that you're a miracle. Is that true? Yeah. Just because of, uh, my ability to keep on doing all these things when, because real honestly, to look at me and you can't tell from this podcast because you can just see me from the shoulders up, but I, I, it's very evident when people meet me that I have a really bad back. I mean, my posture is horrible as much as I try to concentrate on having a good, there's a big hump in my back. My ribs are displaced. So they kind of stick out one side and yeah, I mean, I, I look like I shouldn't be able to do the stuff I do. So they, they know that, it's kind of a miracle that I'm doing it. I feel like it's a miracle. I mean, yeah. Well, I, I feel so fortunate. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and in a way, I think you're inspiring to other people. You mentioned your kids. So how how many kids do you have? I have two sons. Right now, they're 40 and 38. And then I have a, grand, a two-year-old grandbaby. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, she's a doll. Yeah, last night, trick-or-treating weather was wonderful. <laughs> What was her costume? I'm guessing it wasn't retired. No, no. Uh, her parents actually just moved back here from chat from L.A. Uh, when she after she was born. And uh, I was so thrilled because my kids had lived out there 14 years. I don't think they'd ever come back, but they did. So her parents are all into this getting dressed up and everything. So they did a family thing. They all dressed up like members of Kiss. And in fact, her uncle uh, dressed up, came and did too. So the two brothers, my two sons. And my younger son's wife and the child were all dressed up like the band Kiss. It was dope. That is really great. That's quite a that's that's quite a commitment to the makeup that probably took a while to apply. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. The makeup was amazing. I wish I was more technologically savvy so I could show you a picture of them on the screen. Because it, it was it, their costumes. It, they were it was really amazing, especially You're seeing this to... little girl with her drumsticks and everything. My son quit being in a rock and roll band, but he was in a rock and roll band for years. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that kind of went to the decision, I guess, and giving her the drumsticks and all this stuff. <laughs> and, okay, so you have the one, so you live now near both your kids and your grandbaby? I mean, when you're in Kentucky? Yes, they moved back here to Louisville. And uh, honestly, when I first retired and they were living in California, I spent more time in Colorado than I am now. I just, it's just hard to leave a grandbaby when she's two years old and just starting to talk and loves me right now. And, and my, both my, my son and daughter-in-law work from home. And so I go over there three and four days a week to babysit while they're working. You know, it's a, such an opportunity that in another few years when she's at school and gets old enough where she thinks grandma's stupid or whatever, I mean, you know, uh, I'm not going to have that opportunity. So I got to take the opportunity when I can have it. And it's so much more fun than having your own children because, you know, you just have them for half the day and then you can say bye-bye. <laughs> and you exactly. don't have to deal with all the disciplining and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to see with my parents and my wife's parents how how sweet 
grandparents are to the grandbabies. It, it, it wasn't quite like that <laughs> when when they were our, you know, when we were little. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I don't think she's gonna think grandma's stupid because grandma's always sweet, right? So what's what's not to like? Well, well, hopefully, hopefully, we know how those teenagers can get. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. We find that well, the happiest retirees live near at least some of their adult children. So you're uh, you're on right on track there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so did you have a plan when you retired? I mean, it sounds like you did, but some people don't. So I want to hear your plan so that other people can learn from you. Well, I certainly didn't have any kind of plan that was thought out, put down on paper, or even up in my head, because I did have so many interests, Ryan, that I just wasn't able to pursue as much as I would have liked when I was working all the time. So basically, the day I retired, I was packing up to go on a trip, and I was able to go snow ski more, I was able to read more, I was able to do all these things more without feeling so rushed. I mean, the one thing was, I, I think I mentioned to you when you were telling me a little about, about, about these questions before that every day when I would wake up, I felt like it was the beginning of the race to, to run and get to the finish line, which was to get in bed. And the next yeah. day, only to have to get up out of that bed the next day and run the race again, just to try to get everything done and do the things that I thought were fun, like going bicycling or doing my yoga or doing you know, I didn't play pickleball back then, but just the things that I like to do, it was just like I, I participated in language groups because there's no way to keep up French and Spanish if you're not using them all the time. So I was with, with different language groups. So every day I would get out of bed, run the race to get to the finish line, which was back in bed again. I don't feel that rushed anymore. I still have a, I'm still am a person who crams a lot in a day sometimes. I, I can stress myself out by doing that, but it's it's not a, I have to. I have more of a choice to put that off till tomorrow or, you know, just do it at my own speed. I don't it's certainly not the kind of I don't I don't feel like I'm running a race every day anymore at all. So that's that's wonderful. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of times yeah, you wake up and it's just, it's on, right? <laughs> There's no yeah. easy, I, I listen to, uh, you know, I, I pra practice meditation. I say practice because I'm definitely not good at it, but I, and a lot of them are like, ease into your day, calm, deep breaths. And I'm thinking, oh, that's really hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I have a one-year-old, so a lot of times I'm not easing out of bed, I'm jumping out of bed. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and you're yeah. tired. I'm sure she does not sleep perfectly. And yeah, I just no. it, it, those days were really difficult. That's the other good thing about leaving my grandbaby over there. I get I can get sleep. Sort exactly. Of. Old people have a hard time <laughs> sleeping, but I'm doing better well, now than I was a year ago. I I was you know taking melatonin, you know taking valerian root, taking this, taking that, trying to sleep. When I was working, I was so exhausted all the time because I I really suffered from insomnia. Part of it was that I had, you know, hormonal imbalances that a lot of women do, and some of that helped doing some natural stuff for that. But I still had insomnia, and they discovered I had sleep apnea. I got on a CPAP machine that helped, but it's I still had some insomnia. And I finally, last about six, finally, until six months ago, did even though it had been prescribed for me in the past by a doctor because he knew I was having trouble sleeping, I started taking trazodone, which is this anti-anxiety medicine. I only take it at night, but 
boy, I wish I had done it 10 years ago, 15 years ago, because I can't tell you how exhausted I was when I was working. And, and now, most of the time, I get a pretty good night's sleep. It has made such a difference, such a difference. Oh, wow. That's the, that's, that's the only prescription drug I take. Yeah. So you take it at night and it helps. I, well, I don't know if you have anxiety, but it, it helps your sleep. Yeah, it does. It's something about just kind of relaxes you. And I can see where it would be good at an anti-anxiety medicine too. But I, I know a lot of women, I don't know about so many men, but I do know a lot of women my age who take it. Because insomnia does seem to be a problem as you get older. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Well, I'm, well, I'm glad you found something that helps because sleep, without sleep, I just know that I'm a shell of humans. human. So, I, yeah. I, you know, it's so important. Yeah, and as a retiree, I mean, you could take naps and stuff like that. But, I mean, who wants to spend half the day trying to figure out how they can get some more sleep in? You know, when you, if, if you've got the things that I like to do, you know, I don't want to spend yeah. my day focused on sleep. I'd rather spend my day doing more fun things, you know. Yeah. Now, if you could sleep while you were micro spiking, that might be a good combo. But until that's figured out, yeah, maybe Trazodone's the way. <laughs> yeah. how, how, what would you say is the perfect day for you in retirement? Getting up at my leisure, spending time doing my yoga stretches and all that kind of stuff, playing pickleball, going bicycling, going snow skiing, things like that, eating a lot of vegetables and fruits. I typically like to have a green smoothie in the morning, spending time with, I, I do have a boyfriend, so spending time with him is, is very nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. report. Okay. Yeah. And, and we just met the year that I retired. So, so that's been really nice. We've done a lot of travel together. We've gone to India and Ecuador, Dubai and Panama, a lot, a lot of places together. And Europe. last year we bicycled through the tulips. And then came back through Iceland. That was great. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. How did you two meet? On a charity bike ride, on a charity bicycle ride. So, wow. getting out and getting out, if you're single and retired and you want to get out and meet people, I think that works a lot better on, than online. You know, just getting in, going and participating in as many activities that you can. You'll meet other people. So. Now, if you, met, if you meet a boyfriend at a charity event, can you write off the expenses of dating? <laughs> Not to my knowledge, but if you discover that I can, be sure to let me know, Ryan. Okay. I'll I'll reach out to the IRS about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, congrats. It sounds like you got a lot of romance going. Plus, he sounds like he has some of the same interests as you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he loves to bicycle and he loves to travel. And yeah, it's all great. Oh, that's great. I had a, a someone else I interviewed. She, her love life was a challenge because she liked to travel so much. So she was always gone. And so it sounds like you figured it out. Uh-huh. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, so, okay. So what are some of the biggest challenges you faced along this retirement journey? Probably my health because you know, my, my back is, it's just not, it's not just about the back because of my poor posture and my back having such a huge curve. My hips are messed up. My knees are messed up. Uh, I even have TMJ, jaw issues. So just being able to do the exercises and all that I need to do, you know, I, I know what to do about it, but it's probably, I guess it's my concern as I age that I'm going to not be able to do a lot of these things that I like to do. And I'm sure there will reach a point when I won't be able to. 
I just hope I'll be able to keep reading. My mother started to lose her vision and couldn't really read. And now that, you know, there's all these audio books. So hopefully I can at least listen to audio books if I can't actually read the books themselves. But yeah, getting old is not fun when you start losing your ability. Do stuff like that. You just have to keep keep doing it as long as you can. Find every way you can to keep doing it. Don't let stuff just, don't just say, oh, I've got this pain. I guess I'll quit, you know, but just keep pushing through the pain. Do what you can to, to make it less painful and keep on doing things because by quitting, it's only going to get worse probably, you know, as far as pain levels go and your mental state. Yeah, it seems like you always find a way to to make it through it. You know, you're you're looking for solutions to these challenges. That's the the vibe I get. Right. Yeah. Also, I wanted so one of the biggest core pursuits for happy retirees is volunteering. And I think I think it might actually be number one. And you volunteer, uh, but you also have a challenge because you ended up volunteering with the HOA condo building in Colorado, which isn't exactly as rewarding as working for the Kentucky Refugee Ministries. Talk a little bit about choosing the right type of volunteering to do. For one thing, you know, if if people know you're retired or just retired, they will bombard you with, hey, will you help us with this? Will you help us with that? Blah, 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 blah. And I would say, hold off on saying yes to anybody until you really figure out how much time you have and where you want to put your time. So wait at least six months or something before you say yes to anything. I, I got involved. I, I, I really would prefer, for, if I had my ideal life right now, I would love to be doing volunteer work for Kentucky Refugee Ministries and helping a lot of these incoming refugees adjust to living in America. And it would be especially, I, I feel like I could be especially helpful with my languages because we do have a lot of refugees from the Congo and French-speaking countries. And then obviously Latino countries as well. And I just, I just, I, I got such joy out of actually working with those, that population when, when I was working. And to me, that would be so much more meaningful than doing the volunteer job that I'm doing now. I said to people, I'm just still sick of doing volunteer work for rich people, which is kind of, I'm not rich and not everybody that I'm working for as far as on this HOA are rich, but they're rich compared to these refugees. And you know, I, I live in a building that's 50 years old. We have every kind of issue imaginable. And there was, when I started working on the board, a lot of things had never been done in the 50 years or things had been needing to have been done for 20, 10 years, whatever it was. So much deferred maintenance. And now that I'm on the board, I'm realizing why. Because people who were on the board had full-time jobs. And this, it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of focus and a lot of effort and I'm just trying to get the major issues with plumbing, electric, exterior remodel of the building, new roofs, all that kind of stuff done. I've already been on the board three years. I'm trying to have it done by this time next year. I'm hoping to retire from that board in November of 2024. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of work to do yoga on yourself, but to do yoga for an entire building, you're, you're basically doing yoga for a whole condo complex, which is... Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of the, a yeah, it's worse that... than just owning one. It's worse than owning one home. I mean, it's it's. I had I was clueless when I agreed to do this. I thought, okay, you know, I'll spend a little bit of time every day or whatever, you know, a few hours a month. Oh my God, no! It's it's so much. It's so much. Yeah, so many retirees or or just people in general deal with HOA, and I I rarely hear anything positive. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So Nancy, we're, we're getting towards the end of here, but I, I did want to know social groups can be a really important part of, of the happiness search for retirees. And it sounds like you have right. a lot of social groups. Right. Yeah. I told you, I didn't know how to, and you asked for the number. I didn't know how to answer the question because it could have gone anywhere from probably five to actually probably more like 10, depending on how you, I counted them because the one group that is totally amazing is I am a member of Vail Club 50 in Vail, Colorado. It's, it's a retiree group for people over 50, although most of the people are over 65. And that club does everything. So they have all these offshoots, like we ski, we snowshoe, we microspike hike, we bicycle, we hike, we have dinner parties, we have potlucks, we have happy hours, we have go to the theater. I mean, there's so much that that club does. There's like 700, I think there's about 800 members now. And not all of them live in Vail full time. Some of them are only there maybe three or four weeks a year, but they want to have a group to ski with or a group to hike with or whatever. And so they join and and then have some people socialize and all that kind of stuff. So it has been, it's amazing. I know people who tried retiring in Sun Valley, tried retiring in Big Sky, only lived there a few years. They said when in the whole time they had been in those places, they maybe made uh, four or five friends and they came to Vail, joined Vail Club 50, and they had a hundred friends in less than 90 days. I mean, it's just that there's so much going on from a retired, it, everybody is so fit and active and doesn't just do sports. It's a lot of social stuff too. We've got a, a moonlight. One of the best events we have is a moonlight snowshoe where we snowshoe by well we snowshoe as the sun sets come back in as the moon's rising and then have a dinner dance in this room that has this enormous windows where you can see the moon out the windows and stuff i mean in the club is just it's totally awesome totally awesome and i friends of mine go to some of the activities out there when they come to visit and they go why don't we start like this in louisville and you really could with meetup you know something like that could be started in la you know and i'm sure there would be tons of members but it's yeah, it's just a matter of somebody stepping up the plate to organize it, I guess, because this actually this organization has been it was founded in the 80s and it now has what we call legacy members, which are children of the initial founders of Bell Club 50 children wow. who are members. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it so sounds it's, like uh, like you need to organize it for everyone everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we begin. Get Do you have time? Not right now. <laughs> 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 okay, well, Nancy Irwin, the president of health, do you have any parting <laughs> words of, of wisdom for other happy people searching for happiness in retirement? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of physical infirmities that keep me from, uh, could keep me from saying, oh, I can't do that. Or, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like doing that. But, you know, it's the motion is low. I got to keep moving. And for those people who, where work has been pretty much their whole life, and now they don't know what to do with themselves. I am sure that during their work time, during their work life, they had thoughts about, you know, maybe traveling to this place or maybe trying out this sport or maybe trying to learn a language or maybe learning how to paint, whatever. If you've had even the slightest thought of trying something, now's your opportunity. And I wouldn't wait and try to pick the perfect thing. Go try a bunch of stuff, see what you really enjoy, and then go do it because you'll make a lot of new friends too. I know a lot of people, most of their friends have revolved around their work, but 
You'll make tons of friends who are retired and have time to go to dinner with you or have lunch with you or have coffee with you, whatever. I mean, and and do something fun that you love, whether it's painting or riding a bicycle. You know, you'll just, you'll meet people. So I just, I encourage people to try anything and everything. And don't just think because you've never played a sport that you can't play pickleball because you can't. I mean, don't just think because you've never done something that you can't do it because you can't, like never painted that you thought it would be pretty to paint. It will be pretty to paint. Go do it. Whatever it is, you know, go try. I love it. Nancy, thank you so much for being on the Happiest Retirees podcast. Sure. Thank you so much, Ryan, for having me. It was a pleasure. 